Hello, and welcome to another episode of Zion's Finest. Our host, Kenny, is not here today, but I am joined by Scott. Hello. We are happy to be able to uh, chat. We uh, have a few announcements to make. There's a couple upcoming events across the Western U.S. that we wanted to shout out. Yeah. Scott, what is going on? Yeah, so uh, we have an upcoming tournament in Logan, Utah. It's going to be a showdown event. Uh, it is on February 17th, Saturday, uh, at... Uh, Sam, what's that store? Toads and whatnot in Logan? Toads and Tricycles. Toads and Tricycles in Logan, yeah. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Our good friend Curtis is is kind of taking point on that, getting in a range. So uh, myself, Kenny... Uh, we'll be up there for sure, along with Curtis. So if you are in the area or you're willing to drive a little bit, uh, please come out, have some games. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, we also want to call out in Seattle at Zulu's Games. There's going to be an event on March 30th. Uh, it's going to be a premier format with three to four games, depending on the number of players. Uh, that is available in our Shatterpoint OP channel a uh, link to the Longshanks event. It's a $15 entry fee. Make sure to put that on your calendar if you're in the Seattle, Washington, Portland area and you're willing to make the drive. So that'll be fun to watch out. And then and just as a reminder, we do have May 18th, our Zyfy Invitational. That's going to be our big Zion's Finest event. We're having cards made, tokens, lots of cool prize support. Uh, first prize is going to get a custom printed and painted mini by me. And then we'll also be randomly raffling out uh, another mini. Uh, so no matter how well you do, you're going to get a lot of cool swag and, and price support. So, you know, put that on your calendars. If you can make it out to the Utah area, that's going to be at Demolition Games in Salt Lake City. We are very excited for it. That's going to be our our one of the first of our two big uh, tournaments of the year that Zyfy will be doing. I'm planning on being there too, so yeah. at least one out-of-stater will be there. Yeah, I mean, you know, hometown hero is what we really call Sam, but he does unfortunately okay. live many thousands of miles away from us. Because he yeah. had to, like, go to law school and, like, better his life. Selfish. Something like that. Yeah, pretty, pretty selfish to fly across the country there. Should be playing games with y'all. I know, right? How dare you try and make a, a better life for you and your wife, you selfish jag. Yeah. So uh, with those announcements, did you have you had the opportunity to play any games recently, Scott? Yeah, actually. Uh, I played a really interesting game just this last Thursday against Matt. So I w we were running Sabotage Showdown, a pretty heavily trained area. Uh, I was running... Uh, Vader, Django Arfs, and Grand Inquisitor, Obi-2, Fifth Brother, which is a part of my premiere list I hadn't had a chance to run yet. Uh, kind of the idea being that I, I think Grand Inquisitor is pretty good on paper, and Fifth Brother is really good. And the thing that brings Grand Inquisitor down is having to bring the other Inquisitors, which usually means having to take Pawns and having to take Reva, and... You know, I think when Stormtrooper Sergeant comes out, there's going to be more to play there to have a, a three-point secondary that you can play with. But I figured, hey, you know, yeah. if I just have Vader and Fifth Brother benefiting from Grand Inquisitor, I think it works. And it 
it was a really cool game. It was probably the closest game of Shatterpoint I've ever played. I think Grand Inquisitor does some really cool stuff. We, I, I kind of already talked about in our our sort of our reevaluation episode about how I think he's higher up than we initially ranked him. I think of him as sort of a low a low B tier character in the right context, and I I stand by that. I think he had some really cool stuff. Healed a lot off of Vader. Enabled some really cool plays. Um, I did actually use his two cost ability to deny Matt points for two turns, so it actually you know ended up being useful. Uh, Matt was playing also a very interesting list. I've never been very big on Obi Wan Kenobi, uh, the primary, but he ran Vader yeah. with Obi Wan, Rex, Arfs. Believe it or not, Handmaidens. Okay. Yeah. 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 And one other second and uh snips. So it was Obi-Wan Snips, Handmaidens, Vader, yeah. Rex, Arfs. And one, Handmaidens outside of Padme, I never thought I'd see, but like it worked. They did eight damage and a disarm to Vader. Like it yeah. was it was crazy. And you know, Obi-Wan's ability, like the thing is, being able to you know, I push his opponent, his figures off a point, and they spend a hunker token and just move right back on. It was, it was really solid. I, I did pull out the win, but again, just an incredibly, incredibly close game that came down to just a couple interactions. Uh, and, and so just a really fun, interesting game. Uh, really improved my opinion of Obi-Wan. And, you know, it's kind of funny because, like, yeah. yeah, it turns out stuff's good when you pair it with Vader or Dooku. Like, yeah, things just get better. That's true. That's very true. Yeah. What about you? Oh, so I've been not getting in as many games. I've been getting a couple games in with my brother-in-law. We've been testing out some some stuff that I haven't played as much. So I've been playing a lot more Republic games. I'm experimenting with Mace a lot more. I the he's one of those characters that I feel takes some reps to fully get the most out of. My first couple games I feel like I did okay with him and then as I start to figure out more of cycling his stances which feels very important for his character, I'm be able to get more and more out of him. The more I play him. Yeah. I've just finished building my uh what's her name? Ara Singh model because she's the next character I'm gonna give a run. So I finished building her. Yeah. Gonna get some games in with her. That'll be interesting. We're I'm gonna pair her like Cad Bane Vader, try some wacky stuff, like throw Cad Bane Dooku, just try and have Aura perform the best she can. I don't think it's going to go very well, but I'm excited to experiment. Yeah, I don't an- anticipate it going very well either. Uh, you had a I, you had a question before I interrupted you, so I want to make sure you get a chance to to toss that question out. Yeah, I was curious what the application was that denied points using Grand Inquisitor's ability for multiple turns. Was it the R- fact that it was like tied? Yes. Yes. So the way that it worked is 
essentially, you know, I moved my Grand Inquisitor onto a point and I pushed Obi uh, one off. Yeah. And he went, okay, great. I'm going to spend a hunker token to move back on, which meant that the point didn't flip to me. So it's like, okay, well, I'm not getting the point. But if I spend two force, and for context, he was my last activation, and you have a lot of force refresh in that list. Yeah. Uh, particularly if your opponent is running three force users like Matt was. And so yeah. I just said, okay, well, neither of us is going to get that point. So it denied him points for two whole rounds. And it also made it so that his Obi-Wan was locked in there. That un like if he moved, he was going to give me the point. So he had to kind of do something about that. So uh, I had the force. I figured, you know, uh, I'll at least deny him the point rather than and it and it slowed his tempo down. Yeah. Sort of a similar idea to when Anakin pushes the struggle one further to you. Yeah. Uh, just in the opposite direction of it prevents your opponent from getting the struggle cube. So it's a net similar ability, just costs, you know, two force. Makes sense. Yeah, no, that, that, that's a cool application. I, I dig that. Still, uh, I'm glad it's getting some use, because I originally I just thought that was a useless ability. Yeah. Well, and we, like I said, we talked about it on the episode where we reevaluated the units. Yeah. And, you know, the consensus is if you drop it down to only cost one force... The worry was that it would be too good. Yeah. Right? That, And I'm like, okay, I don't think that, but I get that. I get that fear. And I thought the, the solution we came up with is, you know, until the end of the Grand Inquisitor's turn, you know, you, you pay two force and another figure doesn't count for contesting. That would be right? cool. With, it's within three of him or something. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, okay, I can turn someone else off, snag a point, you know, it's powerful. It's yeah. it's, but it's limited, and so. But yeah, it was it was interesting. I do, I definitely think you know. I was like, hey, this isn't as good as Vader Grievous. Mm -hmm. Probably not a lot is. Yeah, it's not as good as Vader Dooku, but in terms of like, if you're playstyle, if you really like the Inquisitor Grand Inquisitor, I think he only works with Vader. It just it doesn't work in other context. But I'm really excited to try out. Vader, uh, Stormtrooper Sergeant, Fifth Brother, or Fourth Sister, and then Grand Inquisitor, probably Jango or Obi-2, Fifth Brother, Fourth Sister. So, uh, because I think Fourth Sister should be, on paper, almost as good as Fifth Brother. And so, you know, if you have, you know, Vader, Grand Inquisitor, Jango, Fourth Brother, or Fourth Sister, Fifth Brother... You have three sources of diceless displacement. That's a lot. Plus two sources, two sources of force regeneration. Yeah. That, so that could be a pretty sweet control list that can do it a lot. I'm excited to see how that yeah. works out. Yeah, I'll have to try it out. The only downside, obviously, is you're playing two units down, two figures down. That is a big downside that you just can't spread the board as much. That, uh, yeah. You you are winning ties. Yep. So, you know, but still. Jumping to our main topic, recently on our Slack, we were asked to classify units by the type of role they feel. People were asking about playing different types of lists and about building lists and 
hey, what do these characters do? What role do they fit in a list? So I took some time to create a couple of different categories that characters fit in, different roles that they have. We want to talk about how char- what, what those roles do in a list, who some characters are that fit those roles, and how important that role is in each list. So kind of an overview of some of the different, the different classes of characters that I came up with, and then we'll dive into each of them individually. Talking about tanks, attrition pieces, control pieces, field generals, support pieces, and snipers. So when, I, when we say starting off with tanks, when we talk about tanks, they are units that are good at sitting on an objective, holding it, and stopping your opponent from taking that point. These are characters like Obi-2, who can shut off an attack, or Ahsoka, who blunts damage, and also um, and Dooku, who can also Dooku, who can spend force to re- remove uh, hits from the attack roll to get them less spots on the tree, potentially stopping a shove. Those are some of those characters. Tanks are powerful in Shatterpoint. At least I think that it's important to have a character that can at least semi-tank in most lists. Absolutely. So I think that in some ways tanks represent how you tempo break. Because, it, you know, so much of the game, especially right now, is... I have three points that I score, then you have three points. And then I have three points, then you have three points. And you keep going back and forth until somebody gets four. Right? Yeah. Or until somebody can't take one. And that's all about having a, a reliable tank. Right? And so much of, a, of, of games like this is about how much use, how much efficacy can you get out of any given activation of one of your figures... And a tank often represents a blunted or significantly less optimal activation. So you say, well, I'd really like to attack this character, but OB2 is going to shut that down. Either that I'm not attacking anybody or I'm attacking somebody I don't want to at minus two dice. Dooku, I don't want to attack him because, one, he if even if I attack and do well, he can cause someone to come attack me, he can attack me, he can do some nasty stuff to me, or he can just make my attack suck by paying force to drop down. And like I said, with Ahsoka, is kind of a similar thing, where it's like, well, I could do damage to Ahsoka, but I'm not going to wound her, and she'll just throw damage back onto me, which is going to make life more difficult. And so, you just give your... They're, in my opinion, the number one way to give your opponent a set of bad choices. You know, I only have two options available to me on my turn. There's the bad one, and there's the worse one. Uh, and I think a key feature is they, they always, you know, it, it, it's going to cost force when you bring a tank. So that's something you always need to think about, too, is you have to make sure you have the force economy for whatever tank you're bringing. That's a very true point. Additionally, about tanks is, I love the point you bring of blunting the efficacy of attacks, because a tank is less about soaking damage and more about 
soaking momentum. Like yeah. how your opponent is trying to gain momentum and you're trying to stop that, stop the momentum in their tracks, not the actual cubes, but the the flow of the game, so to speak. Some other tanks who, there's some other characters that kind of play partial tank roles that can be tanks in some situations. Like mm-hmm. the, the Grand Inquisitor has some interesting added defense that can make him really hard for force users to push him off points just because he's going to be blocking so much yeah. of their hits. But that's... Well, and I would say that even even without the extra two dice, because the two dice is nice, but his defensive side has six dice and has one of the best defensive expertise in the game. Yeah. So in my mind, Ahsoka, Dooku, and the Grand Inquisitor have maybe the top three defensive like suites in the game. Because mm. for two to three expertise he turns a crit to a hit and a crit to a fail and adds a block yeah i have not looked at his defensive expertise enough he's just not a character i play that's kind of insane yeah absolutely it might be it might be three plus expertise if now i'm thinking about it but it's it's somewhere in there where like his second step is you know, because he because in all of them he's he's swapping something. Let me look up his card real quick just to make sure we have it. Does Lumi break into that top three for you? I mean, was are her defenses good enough? I'll have to, let me. I think that she has a really solid defense. Uh, real quick, so yeah. he has so six defensive dice. This is on his defensive side. His his non defensive side is one to three expertise as two blocks. And four is two blocks with a crit to a hit. On his defensive side, one to two expertise is a block, crit to a hit. Three expertise is a block, crit to a hit, crit to a fail. And four expertise is block, two crits to two fails, and a jump. That's really good. Yeah. For for me, for Lumi, with her defensive side, right, so... She's got six dice. One of these is block, crit to a hit. Two is two blocks, crit to a hit, hit to a failure. Four is three block, crit to a hit, hit to a failure. Uh, yeah, I think she's up there. I think that uh, in some ways her stuff is probably on par, if a little worse than Grand Inquisitor, just because he can pay to have extra dice, and I think his expertise is a little bit better. Um, not by much, probably about the same actually, but like, yeah, I, w- I guess I would probably amend it to Ahsoka, Dooku, Grand Inquisitor, Luminar have the top four yeah. uh, defenses. I think those are the best defensive characters in the game. So so absolutely, I think Grand Inquisitor falls into, into the tank area. I think that's his big function. I would say Fifth Brother obviously sits in there. Anyone with Protection Steadfast probably has a claim to be in the tank area just because, yeah, if you can't push them off a point and they have a little bit more health, uh, maybe not B1s even with protection, but yeah, uh, I would say Savage, who I know you've sort of assigned into a different category that we'll talk about in a minute. Yeah. Um, I would say that he often also fits into that uh, tank role when you need him to. Because he has protection and steadfast, and he has a high health pool. And honestly, my most effective uses of Savage have been just sitting on a point. 
100%. And that expertise that gives him a jump back really helps with that tankiness. And uh, to, to be clear, when I'm giving, we're giving these examples, most characters can fit into multiple roles. So absolutely, if I have a character in one role and you think, hey, I think they fit this other rule better, they, they probably do fit multiple roles. So saying Savage is a tank, I think is absolutely correct. Yeah. Well, I think we're, when we talk about like primary roles, right? I also think Savage's use case is a tank uh, in that that's where I think he gets a lot of value. But I think his design is designed as more of a murder bot. Yes. Right? Because he's, he's got all this, you know, gear that's designed to kill primaries. And, you know, that's kind of what he's built around and be able to move with, you know, another death of Myriad. And so I think that he's not designed to be a tank, but just a high health pool with, with protection steadfast just makes him really good at that job. So, but yeah, as, as you've said, like most figures are going to fall into more than one role. And I think that the best figures probably strongly fall into two different roles and maybe even three. Yes, I agree. Yeah. So like we've, we've talked about Dooku as a tank and that's very true. But Dooku is also probably two other archetypes that we will get down further down the list. 100%. The, the final thing about tanks before we jump to a, another archetype is that they are something you do want to include in this building. There are lists that can maybe get away without them. But in general, you want at least one of these on your squad. It's... Absolutely. Your list be, can become very fragile and you're the... Games can get quickly out of hand if you don't have one. Yeah, you need to make sure you have a dedicated point that you know is yours so that you can compete for other ones with a, a relative amount of safety. And a tank is paramount to ensuring you have that bird in hand. Yeah. Well, let's jump to the next category. So the next one we have are the attrition pieces, uh, which we're sort of calling these the you know attrition, a.k.a. good at murder. So obviously, you know, murdering your, you know, you can wound your opponent's figures to death. That is not how we win games, win games with objectives. But murdering people helps limit their their function there and helps, uh, like, win that attrition game, makes their force economy worse. So that's kind of why we are referring to it in that capacity. So they typically are going to have a high health pool for their type. They're going to help win the attrition war. So... The number one contender here, you know, they're going to be the Vaders, Grievous, Mace. This is also where Savage would uh, fall under there. So this is kind of his other area. Uh, we'll put Magnus under here. Although in some ways, Magnus, fit, they're kind of what we talk about. They fit two or three different archetypes. Um, B2s because they're there with that dedicated damage. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'd also say, you know, Mace... You know, Mace, in my opinion, is a, is a very solid primary figure. Uh, not the best, but he falls into here because he's doing high spikes amounts of damage on your opponent, but he's also giving out... So he kind of fits into a support role by giving out protection and steadfast, but in some ways that is also part of the attrition piece, uh, especially that same with Vader. Vader also kind of falls under a support uh, like 
piece yeah. because he's giving out this ability to deal extra damage to your figure. So he's making everybody a murder bot, which is just really combining to that, that attrition piece. And what I think is important to think about this, you know, when we talk about it, the attrition piece is also essential for the tank. And, and part of that is, one, you really need to be able to guarantee that you can kill something when you need to. You know, you've got your Shatterpoint card. You really need something to die. You want to have something that is a go-to that, yeah, this can do that. Maul can spike a ton of damage. Vader can spike a ton of damage. Grievous can spike a ton of damage. Anakin can spike another damage. He also falls on that attrition piece, that, yep. that good at murder. And I think you, you, you got to have, you know, a sort of the tank is there to, to dole the murder, the attrition murder, and the attrition murder is there to combat the tank. Uh, I will say that most of the time uh, the tank will win in the fight between a tank and an attrition because that's kind of, it's a little bit of a rock, paper, scissors. But if you have something like a support unit that can throw in there, so, you know, ARFs or uh, Fifth Brother or Four Sister that are giving out the expose, if you can expose a tank, then the attrition good at murder people are going to, are going to you know, turn that rock, paper, scissors into a different game. So, so yeah, what are your thoughts, Sam? Yeah, no, I think attrition is something you also do need in a list, not because you're trying to table your opponent, but just because attacking and wounding models is often how you score. Like attacking is so important to the game yeah. and pushing damage to people to wound models, especially wound opponents' supports, really hampers their ability to go wide and score lots of points. And there's definitely a difference 100%. between the attrition pieces that are primaries in here, like Vader, and the ones that are supports. Like, B2s do a lot of chip damage, which is why they're kind of attrition pieces. You bring them so you can get extra damage from Grievous, extra damage from Kraken. They're doing a lot of chip damage. You get some chip shoves in there, too. But they are a piece that's meant to wear down the resource of health. And in that way, they're also attrition. They're grinding out your opponent's health, allowing you to wound that can be kind of supporty too, but it feels attritiony. Yeah, I mean, some of these are going to have overlap. Yeah, that's just the the name of the game. But I I really think you want both in both attrition and t a tank in a Shatterpoint list. That over. Yeah, oh, absolutely. There are lists that can work if you just index almost solely into one, but those feel like counter matchups more than well-rounded lists, like Ahsoka Dooku. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think kind of, and this will be a good segue into the next bit um, that, that Sam can kind of take the point on, but I think that when we contrast attrition with control, attrition is a kind of control in that when you are wounding someone, you are like changing the math of controlling a point. And so when we talk about like you need to have this, I think... If you don't have, I think you can get away without having attrition if you've built a very control-heavy list, but, and, and kind of vice versa, if you're not running any control, you can get away with having more, like, if you have more attrition to make up for it. That being said, 
I don't think either is going to be better than having both attrition and control, right? I think it just depends, right? I'm thinking about something like Vader Grievous is, you know, kind of running a lot of different things, but it's primarily an attrition list, right? Yes. Because you've got you've got a little bit of control with Django, you've got the tank with Obi-2, but mostly you're running murder, mm-hmm. right? Between Vader, Grievous, your Magna Guards. And so we've got something like Ahsoka Dooku that is really just rolling controls and tanks. Yep. And that that blunts Vader Grievous a lot because it says, hey, like what you're doing there. So so you can get away without attrition, but you have to really lean into the control aspect and vice versa. So and again, I still don't think that's better than just running all of them, but it's an option for if you're if you're list building and you're like, yeah, I don't really like the murder game. That's not what I like to do. Yeah, that the control jumping into that is kind of the third of this rock, paper, scissors thing. That's disrupting your opponent's plans by messing with their positioning. So when we talk about guaranteed displacement, those are control pieces. That's your yeah. Django's Diceless displacement. Yep. Asajj, Mamati, Barris, Maul. That these characters Four Sister. Yep. Exactly. These characters will stormtroopers when they're coming out that they have a way to just get your opponent's pieces out of position, get them off a point, mess up any ranged based synergies they may have and score you points in that way. They, there's been a lot of different rules I've heard about them. Like Morgan Reed um, recommends having at least two in each list. I think that's a, Good rule of thumb if you're wondering where to go. I Again, it's not necessary if you index really hard into attrition, but I would recommend having at least one in every list. Yeah, I, I think having two is nice, but it is certainly not a requirement. I, I'm thinking about most of the time you're running Django, and that's... a. Because Django represents a, a lot of significant control, right? Being able to pull people off points, being able to be very, very mobile. Um, you've got Fifth Brother, who also represents strong control because he has diceless displacement that he can uh, push around and just like push an infinite number of people away from him. He also has the, you know, winning ties, which is a form of kind of. Off brand control, right? It's a little different. Yeah. Um, but, you know, even, even Magna Guards, because they have such easy access to pushing, are sort of a pseudo control. So, control in some ways is the most important aspect of the game, right? It is one of the most important aspects because being able to take control of a point is how you win. Yep. That's the only way to win. You could, you know, you can do whatever you, you need to in terms of like, attacking people but all of that is in in interest of gaining control and one of the rules that we talk about for anyone who plays card games this is especially important anyone who plays a game with you know a high instance of random chance right because this isn't chess where everything's a known quantity and we're making just choices in a closed system the better lists the better decks the better 
plays that we have are all built on building consistency. Yeah. And if I have to roll dice to get my control, I am not consistent or I'm less likely to get it every time. Whereas if I can just say I am guaranteed to pull you off of a point and take that point for myself, that's money in the bank. Yeah, 100%. I it is in I think you're right that it is the most important part of the game and my character evaluation largely relies on how much control a character has. One like one of the reasons I'm really high on stormtroopers and Bosch Boosh is because they have guaranteed control. And one of the reasons why I'm not skeptic, but still waiting to see with Ewoks is because none of them have any guaranteed control. Yeah. And so it's such an important part of scoring in Shatterpoint, just so critical that it really changes how I evaluate figures and even though I don't think it is needed to have multiple, I tend to build lists that have at least two. When I'm sitting down to build a premiere list, I'm thinking about that as part of my list building. Absolutely. I, I, when I do my list building, I need to have at least one form of diceless displacement in every list that I'm running because, you know, for that same reason. If it's not Django, it's Fifth Brother, if it's not Fifth Brother... Barris. So like my premier list, I've got Django, I've got Barris, I've got Fifth Brother, I've got Maul. So every single squad that I'm running, each of those are in a different squad. So any game I'm playing, I'm actually going to have two. Yep. Because, you know, however I, I do that, because of how important it is. If you are saying, no, I'm not going to play Control because I think it's stupid and I don't like it. I think you can do that. Like I mentioned earlier in, in my played games, me and Matt had played a game where he didn't run any control and he didn't run any dice's displacement, but his Obi-Wan allowed him after an attack to move himself back, which is a kind of an anti-control, yep. right? It's saying, I refuse to be controlled by you. Not something you can really do with diceless displacement because those things trigger after an attack. Uh, but if I diceless displace you and then attack you, I've, if I've made that mistake, then you could do it. And so having the ability to to move in that way offers a form of 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 counter there or a different type of control, which could maybe work. But yeah, I think generally you should always be including diceless displacement in your list. Yeah, oh, General Obi Wan kind of feels like a tank support piece to me. He offers that tankiness to blunt your opponent's move and also supports your team. Absolutely. Well, he, you know what's interesting, too, is he's also kind of an attrition. Yeah. Right? He's not as good a support as, you know, some of the other support big, big support people like Vader or Dooku. He's not as tanky as Ahsoka, but he's, in the right circumstance, he's real hard to kill. Mm-hmm. And he's not like a murder bot, but like he can, you know, he does her load there. He's rolling 10 dice. He's, he's killing anything that has less than eight health. Yeah. And so, you know, he's just really all around a very well-rounded figure. He just needs to have stuff that can really benefit and make up for the deficits around him. Yeah. 
So before we jump to these next three classifications, those first three we talked about, I think are kind of the core classifications that you want to think about in every list you build. These next three are other classifications that are not necessary, but still good to think about when you're, when you're list building. Absolutely, absolutely. So, so the first of our sort of secondary ones is the field general. So these are people who are really good at repositioning your own team. So a lot of figures have sort of, you know, innate movement at the beginning of their, of their turn with a tactic, but some of them, and, and we kind of call them the field generals, are giving out movement to others. So think of Rex in this scenario, who's able to either give himself or another Galactic Republic figure a dash and a hunker, right? Repositioning those around. You've got um, the Grand Inquisitor can do that with an Inquisitorious supporting. Uh, Padme is a big one. Her Royal Command is, in my opinion, the best movement force ability in the game. Just be able to give an advance to either herself or anyone else, or a unit that applies to both figures in the unit is unprecedented. Because most of the time, if you're giving a dash, it's to one figure in a unit. Yeah. But being able to do it to both and give it an advance is huge and only costs a force, and it's wildly good. So she kind of follows that. Sabe as well, being able to make herself and other and the handmaidens just move towards a primary. You're getting a lot of movement sheeted out. Uh, the two probably big examples of this are Kraken and Kalani moving around and shooting with your droids. It allows, these are people that are really building out synergies that are really supporting. You're generally trading something here. So Kraken and Kalani are pretty dang good defensively, but they obviously aren't as offensively powerful as some other secondaries, but they make up for it by making your supports better. Yeah. Padme is, generally speaking, a very offensive character, weirdly enough. I think that if you're able to do her dash focus and make a 10-die attack, which is not hard to get, uh, you can reasonably expect to do 5 to 8 damage to someone, which, you know, for compared to other primaries is low, but for what she is and what she's giving out to the other characters as sort of the field general, quite impressive. So this is a figure that you certainly do not need this in your game. Uh, like if, you're, if you don't have a field general. But depending on the archetype you want to build, if you're doing all droids, then you need to have a field general. Droids, if you're doing separatist droids, they really rely on that. One thing that we've sort of observed in our testing is if you're running B1s and B2s without Kraken or Kalani, they are just way worse. Yeah, they're they're they just don't really work without someone to be giving them extra movement and extra attacks, giving them extra dice, like really turning them on. Yeah, one hundred percent. I I think field general is a really good kind of secondary secondary position to fill. Like General Grievous is an attrition piece who also has a lot of very good field general abilities with Onward and Absolutely. Appetite for Destruction. So he's giving out all this extra movement that's moving your droids and helping them be better. So it's a great... It's really important to consider your field generals if you're playing droids, as you said, but also, I think, Ewoks. Like, Log, yeah. they seem like they're built around this particular role. Absolutely, because you're you've got small guys who are meant to be kind of 
synergize really well. I mean, even just look at Leia, right, or the Weequays, where where it's like, hey, we're going to give all the Ewok keyword rebel, and we're going to give all the rebels keyword. So we've we've built out this synergy, right? So it's all centered around a general sort of giving commands and helping them out. So it, it I think field general is just really important for certain synergies. Yeah. And if you don't care about those synergies, don't worry about it. But if you do, really think about how to optimize those activations. And one thing I will recommend is because Shatterpoint has random activations, you really have to be in tune with how to allocate your force and when to reserve. Because, you know, one thing people talk about is, well, you want Padme to go before the Handmaidens so that she can do more for them by being in certain position. I think it's okay if she goes after them, but that's just typically the line, right? It's like, well... We don't want if if we want to move forward, we want to have Padme there to, to offer that support as the general move things out. But yeah, or I think that that's the kind of thing you have to think about. You really want Kalani to go before your droid supports stuff like absolutely. that. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That speaking of support, yeah. Speaking of support, that's that's our next category is supports. But and supports, I don't mean are. You know, support units, but these are characters that abilities to buff other units. So this is Bo-Katan. This is General Kenobi. In some respects, this is Arf Troopers and Night Sisters who are buffing your other units by giving coordinated fire expose. I think anything with coordinated fire, where that's sort of their main value giver, which most of the time, if you do, that is, is going to fall under that support unit. Yeah, 100%. They are there to buff the rest of your team, make the rest of your team more effective. Support characters, besides kind of these outliers of General Kenobi and Bo-Katan, tend to be pretty weak defensively. Yeah, so you have to be kind of be careful when you're playing them. They're you have to you want they have powerful effects that help your team do what they want to do more. But you have to be very careful with your positioning not to leave them overexposed. Absolutely. And, and, and positioning, one of the interesting things is one of the strongest support abilities is Vader's ability. And obviously he doesn't fall into low defense. But that's partially because his support is global. Yeah. As opposed to any coordinated fire, which that's, that has to be within a certain range. And so I find that positioning supports can be quite difficult. Matt's kind of got this key figured out because he's working with like commandos and ARFs to do a lot of support. Uh, I will say one support unit that is quite defensive. Uh, and also we should probably should mark her under field general as well as Luminara. Mm, yeah. Because her, her innate ability, her identity, uh, which is arguably the best one in the game, is letting reposition people when you wound people, which is really, really strong as a field general. But also being able to heal units when they take damage is a strong support ability that allows you to help sort of that. You're undoing the attrition game, right? With her healing from there and her healing with force heal, you can sometimes really turn back the clock that way and, and buy a lot of time, which is really useful. So, uh, you know, I think those are really interesting most of the time, like you said, you know, the the supports are because they're often support units. A lot of the big support units, especially coordinated fire, they're going to have lower defense. They're going to have an just an easier time getting wounded. Yeah, 
that's just the it kind of follows and perhaps maybe this is just i'm using the words my thought of them getting wounded easier comes from the idea that in other games support typically represents an easier class to wound maybe if i think about it more there's a fair amount that don't get wounded super easy but all the ones that all the supports that are supports tend to be quite squishy yeah i think that's generally true i think you know it just depends that obviously we're going to see like r2d2 and c3po are super super squishy and they're designed as sort of a high level support secondary Yep. That that's really what they do. They're not really doing much else. And so I think it kind of falls in that same line of, you know, not going to be super defensive, but really turning other things on, really doing something powerful. But, you know, it's not going to be hard to take them down. Yeah. And I think when supports are often, there's two kind of supports. There's supports you build your list around. Like, uh, to some extent, Luminar, like you build your list knowing that you have this powerful support ability in the game. And then there's supports that you are trying to, that are just kind of accents to your list. Like a lot of your coordinated fire clones. Absolutely. Absolutely. And also, yeah, the, the biggest thing is just, you know, coordinated fire, especially with the exposed most, most uh, notably. Uh, it just makes so much everything so much easier, right? And being able to pile it on, and and in some ways the support archetype struggles a little bit because you can't just build entirely on it. That's the main problem we've seen with the Galactic Republic. Is it's like, look at all these support abilities we have. We get to do if all of you know if all of your stuff's here, they get to give out expose and give out extra damage, and it's like great. We have to be positioned and people are wounding us because we don't have enough defensive tech and so it becomes really difficult. So it is a, a difficult archetype to, to work around. I don't think you need really support for the most part. The essential support is just coming from a lot of other figures that already have support abilities and you're taking for other reasons anyway. Yes. Yeah. Support really support class really feels like that secondary class. We have one more secondary class to talk about, though, that also I think kind of feels like this not needed but can be valuable role. Yeah, and I think that this role is going to increase in value depending on how new mission packs come out. Uh, Mm -hmm. This role is the sniper. These are the people who are able to hang back and take pot shots, hold the back points. Who's holding your back points for you? And get that value from afar. So, you know, chief on the list, Cad Bane, right? He's sitting there. Oh, you didn't? Well, I'm going to do some extra damage, right? Going to hit you afar. I would throw sort of a lot of clones in this area, mm-hmm. you know, uh, although that's not really, it's kind of a mix of the support role and they have mixed value. I think it's how the 212 are meant to work. I think it's how the clone commandos are meant to work. But also, I think it's how ARFs work because they have such a long... Anything with a range 5 attack, you could consider a sniper. And obviously, if they have those support abilities as well, they they, they tie in together there. Uh, so it, it's probably the least populous archetype. 
Yeah. Uh, Gar Saxon falls into this. He does literally have a sniper rifle if you built him that way, which I did because I think it looked awesome. It does. Um, yeah, and you know, obviously, I, I think in some ways Padme fits under this just because she has a long range attack that you know, if people are grabbing sharpshooter, then that helps as well. It's it is the case that most of the time. If you can hit your opponent, they can hit you back. Yeah. You know, just with, with runner movement or like cheated out movement. So it's hard to say like, hey, I can really camp in the back and just shoot, shoot, shoot unless my opponent makes a concerted effort to come get me. But oftentimes the way that the game is working out is you're competing for the middle points. And so just having people who can sit on your back points and pot shot at your opponent trying to struggle for those middle points can be the tipping point and the and the balance difference between being able to take those middle points or losing them. Yeah. Clan Krees, in many ways, kind of, even though they don't have range 5, they only have range 4, they do kind of fit this. They're squishier, but they're providing you shoves from your back line. B, yep. B1s do this by just providing warm bodies on the back line that can set up a condition kind of the they have a bad version of coordinated fire that doesn't cost force when they're wounded that they can set up on on stuff and just kind of give you value by being in the back not doing much else absolutely but in general this isn't an archetype that you need to consider heavily when you're this building yeah it i think more of what it is sam is that if you have a character that falls into this category, you need to think about how to play them to optimize towards this. Because, you know, one of the things I talk about with Matt, who's our resident Galactic Republic expert, you know, because he just runs them stubbornly trying to make it work, is the way I see him play ARFs versus when I play ARFs, because I'm very much an aggro player. I love my run up and kill Vader style stuff. Yeah. I get way less value out of my arfs than he does. Yeah. And I think it's because, you know, I'll run them up to take a point. I'll be like, great, there's what came up. I need to get that point. I'll run up and get it. And my opponent will attack them and wound them. And then it's like, well, if I want that exposed, I better pay a force for it. Versus Matt's getting free exposes, not having to pay for it. And so that's me not playing them towards this idea of like, well, they're, they're sniper support. You know, they're not go sit up and tank. And if you treat them that way, you'll get more value that rather than trying to treat them like a tank. And so I think that's kind of where it's important to think about from a list building perspective. I, I play similar to you and I like when I play ARPS, I often just run them up and they get wounded and it's like, ah, that was dumb. Oh, well, I guess I'm paying force now. <laughs> so I, I think you're 100% yeah. right there that it's a thing to consider. I'm bringing this character. They are a sniper. How do I get value of them and how do I play to their strengths? Maybe that's why I'm so excited for Wolfpack and Commander Wolf because I can finally play yeah. Galactic Republic and not have to play snipers. I can play Vader, Plo, and be like, here's my melee brawler Galactic Republic list. Yeah, I'm actually really, really excited. So Commander Wolf is as good, if not better, than Rex. Yep. Just from what we've been reading. Seems really good. 
I was actually, I thought the Wolfpack just looked like a better version of the 501st, but still kind of not great. But then when we were talking about it, and I was thinking about, you know, when Matt played and he had the Handmaidens be really effective, it was like, hey, yeah, Wolfpack doesn't have access to a Hunker Token, but here's everything that you just saw with the Handmaidens, and the Wolfpack is just a better version of them on every level for, you know, a generic... Uh, Galactic Republic list that isn't running Padme, yeah, specifically with them. So, mm-hmm. like, if Handmaidens are good, then Wolfpack's better. And I'm like, yeah, that's, you know. So I think, I think what we're going to see a lot of is going to be a really effective um, list. Is it's going to be Plo Koon with the Wolfpack box, and then you're going to get Vader with some combination of Vader Rex Arfs. Vader snips arfs, Vader Obi two arfs, something like that. Yep, and just get some really strong uh, synergies going, and it's it's gonna be good. I'm excited. You know, it, it's gonna be a lot of fun. I I think it's gonna be a very powerful list. It's gonna have a lot of attrition control and defense. I think Plo gives some cool defense. I think there's some cool synergies with Plo and Handmaids though. Because of yeah. the way that he can, he can move when stuff is attacked, and he can help reposition stuff. It's an interesting. Yeah, I think Plo is going to really change the game for Republic. At least I hope he will. Uh, I, I want to see them be as competitive as Separatists. Yeah, and you know, I think that this new wave of releases just from obviously opening up another era, and you know. Uh, expanding what we have i think it'll it's going to mix things up in a really good way and i am excited to get to try them next week so am i i'm super excited for them super excited to get some games in with the new models well i that wraps up our discussion of the different classes in which characters fit so we hope that you all and uh enjoyed listening and this has been another episode of uh zion's finest